Hey, it's Nick Sadler here from the label Machine. Coming up on this episode, we have Isabella from Fame Hackers. This was probably one of my favorite episodes so far. We're really on the same wavelength when it comes to artists monetizing their careers. She talks about how artists can create digital offers um, so they don't have to rely on the traditional revenue streams like merch, live gigs, royalties, record deals, um, and sync placements. It's a real eye-opener. Um, we talked about a bunch of different case studies as well on artists that are creating these new income streams. Talked a little bit about NFTs. It's a really, really, really amazing episode. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it. You're listening to the Label Machine series, a podcast to inspire and help indie record labels and artists to build income streams for their music. I'm Nick Sadler, a music entrepreneur that has helped start and run multiple indie record labels. In this series, I'll be speaking with music industry leaders about their experience and the lessons they learn on how they both market and grow their music income. Welcome to the Label Machine series, where we discuss with our guests how artists and record labels sell music. Today's guest is Isabella Bedoya. Bedoya, I think I've got that right. Uh, Isabella is the founder of Fame Hackers, a forward-thinking music company that helps music artists become digital creators for their fans so they don't have to rely on traditional music revenue streams. She's coached over 1,700 independent artists, music marketers, and record label owners, and has been featured in the biggest media platforms in the world, including NBC, iHeartRadio, and ABC News. In short, Isabella has successfully and does successfully help artists grow and monetize their fan base. Isabella, how are you today? Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me here today. (laughs) Cool. Uh, As I mentioned before we started, I'm so excited about this uh genuinely uh i really think like looking over everything you've got we've uh we've got very uh similar ways of approaching things and helping artists out so yeah really excited um first question is a nice easy one so how did you get started in the industry um and where did that take you to you know being now running fame hackers yeah, this is a good question. Um, I kind of made my my way in the industry. I have a tr- uh, actually a kind of a creative story. I became a private chef first, then got a job in Beverly Hills uh, as a live-in private chef. And then as soon as I moved to Beverly Hills, I then went to like literally every music industry networking event I could. And uh, and I just started making connections and I became an A&R for a label under Sony in in hollywood in west hollywood nice and that was yeah under sony wasn't it yeah it was the name of the labels trend def um it was a uh, hip-hop and they work with a lot of hip-hop and rappers and how, so how did you get that did you just go right i'm gonna make this happen and just hustle and bustle and network yeah like i went to literally every back in back when i did this facebook events were like a thing Right. I don't know if you remember, you would just go on Facebook and they had like all these events listed. Yeah. So I went to everything. The, the second I landed in L.A., like the first night, it was like pre Oscars or something like that. Um, So it was like all these events. And <clears throat> it was cool because it was like it wasn't necessarily the event, but it was industry events. So it was just meeting like connections. Uh, I think the first people I met were it, where I came from Florida. So this is not like normal, but. The first people that I met at my first event, it was like the CEO of Playtex, 
um someone that had to do something in like the entertainment industry for like 20 years and then I just started becoming like friends like not trying to social climb just become friends and it led to introductions and you know that's the power of networking yeah I I mean I did I'm so I'm originally from New Zealand came to the UK to get into the um music industry and did the same thing just network 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 network. and 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 doing them you should probably have that as well like sometimes you're like oh, I just want to stay at home tonight. It's raining or something. And you're just like, no, you said you were here to network. I mean, I gave myself five years. I was like, just go and do it. You know, don't go party. Just go meet people and be friendly. And it, it's it's the name of the game. It totally works out. Totally works yeah. out. <laughs> um, so um, you're now working or you now uh, founded and set up Fame Hackers. So can you give a quick rundown of what you do there, like what your main activities are at Fame Hackers? Yeah, uh, the biggest thing that we do is we help artists monetize their music. Um, a lot of that, you know, a lot of the the questions that usually come around is like, or the, pe- the ways people do it, they usually try to go like the e-commerce route and like sell merch and stuff like that. So we actually created a way to sell digital offers, um, digital uh, basically digital offers that can be anything that you can do online without having to deliver a physical product. And uh, so that's a lot of our, our time goes into helping artists and just music entrepreneurs in general into setting that up for themselves. So I'm, I'm just, I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump back and forth on a few things. So you, you, you talk about um, these digital offers. So, like, what are some creative ways to ge- to generate revenue that you find are working for artists and labels that don't rely on streaming revenue? Yeah, so there's three, um, three big ones. So the first one is if you want to branch out and do your own, <clears throat> like, excuse me, if you want to do like your own coaching program, if you want to do your own courses, your own mentorship, if you think about it, all the people entering the music industry, they don't necessarily have to be your fans, but even a small percentage of them will look up to you and will want to pick your brain, right? How did you do that? How did you create that beat? So why not create a program around it where they can actually, you know, pay you some money? Um, The second one that's also really effective is creating like fan experiences, fan clubs. So this doesn't necessarily just mean let's set up a Patreon because Patreon, you got to do a lot of content for like 10 bucks a month. Um, so what you actually want to do is you want to figure out what is the need in your audience. And this can be, you know, let's say for example, your music is all about, um, I don't know, escapism, right? So maybe a travel club would make sense because you guys get to travel together and when you do a travel club, now you're actually charging even more. Um, and then the third one that's really effective is affiliates, right? So affiliate basically means you know, let's say your song, and this is a, an example, uh, let's say your song's about like self-love and self-healing. Well, your audience is probably also seeking for support uh, in self-love and self-healing. So when you release your song, you can do a whole virtual party and you can position a life coach or a relationship coach on the back end so that whenever you're done with your whole promotion, you not, now have someone to refer them to. And you become an affiliate with that coach or that business. And then you can funnel your traffic their way. And then they just send you your affiliate commissions. So those are like the three top ways um, to make revenue online right now. 
So yeah, and for, uh, for people that are listening, an, an affiliate means you sell someone else's product on behalf of them and you get a, a commission on the back end. Um, yeah, so I just, and just stepping back to that second idea where you said, um, you know, you recreate ex, um, music that is around escapism. So you start a, a travel club. Like what, what, does, what does that actually mean? Like what is a travel club? Like what is the... Do people pay to be in it? And then what do they get if they're in this travel club? Yeah. So um, I'll give you like a, like an example of, of an influencer, for example, she is really, really funny. She has nothing to do with travel, but she's very like, she's a comedian. And what she does is she actually, because her personality is so uh, like magnetic, like you can see all the people in the comments are always like, oh my gosh, I want to, you know, I wish I could hang out with you. So she actually created travel packages like, oh, I'm going to go to Italy. I'm going to go to uh, Bora Bora. I'm going to go to Cancun, whatever it is. And then she now sells it to to her audience like, hey, come travel with me. And then the pricing for that, you know, it's like $2,500, $3,000 because you're including a whole itinerary for like a weekend or so with your fans. And even saying those price points, I know some people might automatically think, oh, no one's going to pay for that. But there's always like the select few and, and all you really need is the select few to actually hit revenue goals. No, I, I, I completely agree. And, and I think for anyone that's listening, we were, we were actually just discussing this um, before, um, before we recorded is that, you know, so there's something called in, in, the, in this world, I guess, or high ticket offers, I guess, in, dig, in the digital product world. And I think at first, high ticket offers, you know, and and outside music, I see high ticket offers like five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars. You know, for for setting something up, and you think, yeah, but that probably works if you're, you know, setting up a real estate business or something, because there's lots of money. And in music, no one's got any, you know, any money. But it's not true. Like you can sell these high ticket offers of two, three, four, five thousand dollars, and you only need a few people. And yeah, once you do it a couple of times, you realize there are people out there that have that money. Um, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm completely on board with that. I think another idea is um, there's a guy, Danny Savage, and he does trips to Ibiza and he gets 10 people and they all go to Ibiza and then he does it around, um, he does it like mostly around music production stuff. So you go out there and, and then he, he, you know, flies and produces and you'll hang out together and make a track together. Um, which, yeah, another idea. So it's, it's interesting I asked you about what you meant by travel club. As soon as you mentioned, I actually knew someone doing something similar. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's cool. Like, think about it. If you have, like, a favorite artist and they offer to take you on a trip with them, like, it's a really fun experience. And and that's the thing. Like, the first two ideas that um, that I shared, one of them was coaching. The second one was experiences. Just as a reminder also, like, in the creator's economy that we're in right now, that's the two things that people invest in learning and and experience so it's also like playing along those rules yeah that's a really good point um so you mentioned the comedian um and she's doing her travel club um are there any other artists or labels um that you have or currently work with um that uh have run a particular campaign that you're quite proud of yeah um so i mean there's 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 quite a few like even from a person that's just, I'll also give, actually, let me give this an example for people that 
are starting out because I know if I talk about the big ones, what usually happens is like, oh, that's never going to happen for me. Yeah. Um, but I'll give you both. So there's an artist that I'm working with. He is an amazing, like super, super amazing um, producer, vocal engineer. And he actually like he's been in this industry for a really long time, but he doesn't have a large following. So he launched his offer. Uh, the way that we do the launches is through like virtual events. So like boot camps, workshops, uh, virtual parties, whatever it is. And so he launched it and not a lot of people came to it. But the cool thing is that after like a three or four day workshop, all of his efforts turned into like $2,100, something that he was, you know, never, he would have never been able to do if he didn't have a system like this. And then when you have the system, you just rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat. And then it grows every time. Um, so that was really empowering to see like how someone from like scratch to be able to do that. Um, we've also had other cases where they do like, like the self, the self love is another really good example. Cause that actually was turned into, um, a, a life coaching opportunity. Um, there's another one, for example, he launched his like NFT practice or his advisory. And it was awesome too, because I know everyone wants to learn about NFTs. Everybody wants to get like crash courses. So he does like a three or four day hackathon and people actually show up and, and they go to the, uh, they, they go, they learn, and then it transitions into a larger project. And the cool thing was that there was someone that I think he was more of a, he came from like a label background and he showed up to his virtual event and then it turned into this whole like advisory and consulting for a big organization in the NFT space. So it's like, you never really know what's going to happen until you do something and you get the exposure and then the people that you attract. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really awesome. I think like the highest one was uh, we helped someone that was launching like their own, how to write a book program. Mm -hmm. I think that was like one of the, the coolest ones. Cause like within the first, again, it was like a five day boot camp, how to write your book, whatever. And then on the back end, it turned into like $40,000 on the first weekend. Uh, granted they had a larger audience and their offer was a little bit higher ticket, but first weekend it was 40 K. And then when you did the payment plans, it was like a six figure launch. So that was like, I think probably one of the, the coolest ones so far. Um, wow. but yeah, I mean, there's a variety. <laughs> and was it, was the, the, the writing a book was that, was that like just a creative, um, uh, uh, what's we're going to say, not custom kind of customer for you or someone you worked with, or was, was that actually like a musician who said, I'm now going to teach how to write books. No, that one was a creative, it was a creative entrepreneur. So, yeah. um, so yeah, it, it really depends. And this kind of also goes back to what you were saying of in the music industry, right? In the music industry, the high ticket pricing is different, but, um, when you're thinking about your offer, it's very, very important to think about the purchasing power behind the audience demographics. So if you're targeting something for like indie artists, uh, there are ways to make high ticket work, but you just have to be really good at like delivering the value at what they're actually getting. Um, like if your audience is like 16 to 18 year old recent high school graduates, you're going to be struggling to do high ticket offers. Yeah. Yeah, for I mean, for the most part, um, there's always a select few. And also, if you if you think about it, if a 16 or 17 year old can buy like a thousand dollar iPhone, then they can probably invest in a program It's just how you position it to them.
Yes, yeah, you're right, actually. That's very true. Um, so another question, why do you think artists need to think of themselves as music entrepreneurs? Yes, this is a really good one. Uh, and there's actually a viral video going around by Kanye right now. Um, so a music entrepreneur, basically an entrepreneur is just someone that goes into business. As an artist, for the longest time, we've been taught as a society, we've been conditioned that an artist gets discovered. When they get discovered, the whole team does all the work. And, you know, the, if you want to go the label route, that's totally cool. But even if you go the label route, you still have to do a lot of the legwork yourself. You still have to, you know, figure out your social media, grow your fan base and all that. And if you understand that you're a music entrepreneur, then you understand that those are income producing activities. Showing up online, posting a TikTok, that's an income producing activity. It might not be immediate ROI, like it might not be immediate cash coming into your bank account, but you do that enough times and you grow and then you have brand partnerships, you know, A&Rs are knocking at your door. So when you think as yourself as an entrepreneur, it just, it just creates a little bit more discipline. Um, the viral video by Kanye right now, he pretty much says like artists should think of themselves as businesses. And then he compares like there's a bunch of kids in school going for like business management and stuff like that. And then he compared like Travis Scott and he was like, well, if there's only one Travis Scott, doesn't he deserve to have like thousands of employees to actually, you know, fulfill his vision and he should be the CEO. And that makes sense because that's, I think that's kind of like the era that we're living in right now. Um, and the creator's economy, right? It's like artists are the CEOs. Their music is their creation. Mm. Yeah. You, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I, I completely and utterly agree. I mean, my whole philosophy at the label machine is the, the monetization of music. Like once you've gone and created the music, right? You need to, you now need to, you know, turn it into money essentially. And there's all different, you know, everyone's got different courses and ways and, and of doing that. But ultimately the record label is the whole mechanism and company that is, is only designed to take music that's created and make money out of it. So like why reinvent the wheel? And if, so you either need to, sign to a record label, be like the uncut gem or whatever, or you need to think like a record label when you need to do all the things that a record label does, like do the marketing, show up online, like you said, for TikTok, you know, um, create your funnels and all that kind of in place. So I completely agree. However, I do want to ask you this question because I'd love to get your perspective on it, which is what advice would you give to somebody who simply just wants to make a living making music? Like they, they don't have or they don't want the capacity to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, I mean, this is a good question. There's, there's ways around it. If you just want to do music alone, um, I would focus on building a culture, right? Or a community, especially because if later on you want to transition into NFTs, that's really big right now. You're going to need community. Community is what's going to give your project longevity. Um, but if you can build a community, like if you can rally people up over the subjectivity of your music or something that you really believe in, then it's going to be easier because you can continue just doing your music and then you can do, for example, brand partnerships. Um, brand partnerships, you know, they, they pay a lot of money if you have quality audience. And not just that, but also um, you can sell your music via like funnels and stuff like that, but it's just going to take it's just a numbers game. Like if you were to sell, for example, 
one song for like a dollar and you were just like, hey, I'm not putting this anywhere else, you know, because Spotify is not going to pay me money. You are going to have supporters. But again, you're selling your song for like a dollar or like ten dollars or something. Um, So you just have to have strength in numbers. So it goes back to social media. You need social media. Mm. Um, (laughs) You need to have an audience, really, don't you? Like, so I guess that the the answer is in some way you can't just if you just want to make music in isolation with no audience then you can't be expected to get paid for it because if you don't have an audience or you don't have a community well you're just in a shed by yourself making music i guess you know yeah i mean if you think about it right because even like syncs like music supervisors now they're actually wanting to see audience uh like a fan mm-hmm. base right um when you look at uh booking shows they want to also see audience because at the end of the day all these what people would call gatekeepers they're not really gatekeepers they're actually just seeing like can your music bring in more people to our cause because more people to our cause means more money for the business so it really is like a whole business thing um but yeah if, if they just don't want to do the entrepreneurial route they can just focus on building a, a brand and building a uh community around them and then that you know they'll be able to find ways to monetize that as well or go into like go into business with someone find a partner like a business manager to take care of all that stuff for you um and form a business partnership where they are the entrepreneur or they'll take over all of that kind of stuff and you do the music which i think a lot of i think a lot of partnerships and uh, that i've seen in the music world especially like i've seen i've worked with a lot of um producer partner uh, duos um and there always does seem to be one of them is more of the musician creative one in the studio and the other one is more the like out there, you know, like um, doing the bookings, like putting the shows on, all that kind of stuff. Um, I also, I just wanted to mention for people that are listening as well um, about building up those numbers. And, and you rightfully said it is everybody wants to see have you, like even um, uh, music supervisors, have you got an audience? Um, and a really important metric people are looking at because it's a lot harder to fake it is how many listeners you have on how many monthly listeners you have on spotify because everyone knows you can kind of buy even like with facebook advertising your instagram numbers your your facebook numbers you know like even if you're not going to some dodgy website you can sort of still amplify these numbers but i think it's a very difficult to do that with spotify very hard to get the the faker numbers so i think um and and that's why a lot of people are like I don't want to focus too much on Spotify. I think it's still really important, at least for the next few years. I mean, would you agree? Yeah, that was actually the first thing that I learned um, as an A and R was like, if the Spotify, if it doesn't make sense, like if they have, for example, like twenty thousand monthly listeners and they only have like a thousand fans on Instagram, then something's off, right? Um, so yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think at the end of the day, when you, fa- and this is also like uh, advice from when I used to do influencer marketing campaigns, even if you fake your following, you're only hurting yourself because when you get down to brand partnerships, they don't care about your number. They care about your engagement. Mm-hmm. And if you have a low engagement, um, you're not going to be able to generate them money back. So they're not going to want to work with you again. So it could burn the bridge really, really fast. I, I, yeah, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree. It is so funny, though, even when I explain to people, it's no point in having vanity metrics as you're just shooting yourself in the foot. And they're still like, oh, but I just don't want to look like I've only got 5,000 fans. I'll stop at 10,000. 
And then they'll, and, and no, and I, I've been through this with someone and, they, and I was like, fine, like, you know, we'll get, we'll go to 10,000. They got there. And now, and, you know, they did that fairly quickly. Now it's like, cool, now you've got to focus on genuine followers. And now, you know, they're like, I, I can't seem to get people like on board with stuff. And it's like, well, that's because, you know, you're, you're used to getting this fast growth because, you know, you're doing um, Facebook ads and Instagram ads, you know, but they weren't necessarily people that would have genuinely, you know, the, especially if you're targeting the cheap countries and things, they're not people that are engaging with you. Um, and, you know, even though I'm like, I told you this would happen. They're still complaining. <laughs> well, I don't know if you if you um, read like Instagram's report in 2020 at the end of 2021, but they actually broke down the algorithm and they said that if you have like a, a large account with like a bunch of unengaged, inactive or fake followers, your account actually is considered a low quality account. So they're not going to push out your content. They're not really going to do much for you. But if you actually have your account and you have like real people, active people, and you're doing your job, engaging with them and engaging with all the people, the algorithm is not really necessarily testing all that. They're just seeing the amount of time spent on the platform, the amount of time people, people spend on your content. And that all of those activities lead to the decision that, hey, this is a quality account. And when you have a quality account, they're going to push you out. They're going to put you on the explore page. They're going to make you, you know, put you on the feeds. So it also, it even goes to like an algorithm level, having the fake audience or having the inactive audience is just harming you. Gotcha. I mean, that, that's, that there is, um, there was a question actually that a listener sent in, and it's great that you know about the Instagram. Um, so she's like, she's got, in the last seven days, she's reached over 3,000 accounts and 2000 of those don't follow don't follow her yet she had 700 profile visits but they're not converting to followers like she's only had like 15 followers in seven days like do you know what might be going on here and like any advice yeah. to find, kind of fix the issue yeah a couple things uh the first one is does the actual content on on her instagram is it like a landing page like if i see it and and just at a high level you know overview can I relate to it? Is it similar to the content that's performing well? Like it, it kind of has to act as a, as a brand, right? Um, so if, if it does act cohesively, then there will be a higher retention. Now, secondly, um, if people are not converting, it could also be because, I don't know, it depends if, you know, she's doing reels or she's just jumping on trends. It might not necessarily be like ideal followers anyway. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, it, yeah, it could just be. Yeah, she did say she does a lot of reels and they do seem to do well. So I don't know whether or not they, yeah, she's getting like people liking the reels, but like you said, it's not the right pro people to click on her profile, maybe. Yeah, that's another thing too. Um, you know how it used to be like, you need like seven touches for like marketing. Oh, yeah. So I quote that all the yeah, time. Yeah, now it's like 12 or something. Um, oh, really? <laughs> Is that yeah, the new, is it okay? I need to update my um, I need to update my uh, mythologies. Yeah, it says like up to twelve, and I I mean I've caught myself doing this too, where I'll see someone do something and I'm like, ah, that's funny, or like, oh, I want you know they're cool, but I won't follow them right away, and and I've caught myself I'm like, wait, why didn't you follow them? Because now I'm like hyper aware of it, but that's normal people. They're watching your stuff, and until they see it a couple of times, then they'll hit follow. 
So that's why it's really important. If you are doing reels, if you are doing TikToks, stick to the like the niche or the demographic that you're going into, because if they see you a couple of times, then you'll have a higher retention than if you do, you know, one travel video, one funny video, uh, one video actually singing a song. It's completely different like demographics. So just stick to one thing and just do it over and over, over again. So you can build that relatability and that consistency. Yeah, gotcha. I mean, I completely agree, especially on TikTok. I think you really have to do the same thing over and over again. Um, so I've got, a, I've got another kind of almost case study question, um, a hypothetical situation. Um, I'm a singer-songwriter. I'm in Austin. I work part-time as a coffee barista, and I have a medical bill of $3,000 that I need to pay off in 90 days. What are the exact steps I should take to make that money? This is a good one. <laughs> Do you like that little setup? <laughs> this is a good one. <laughs> well, um, so actually, let me ask you, can I ask you a question um, yeah. to dive in? So as a coffee barista, what else do you, what's your music about? Um, so it's uh, folk music. So I'm a, I'm a singer-songwriter. I guess that I mostly kind of, I sing about like relationships. Uh, let's say I'm a, yeah, I'm a, I'm a female and I had, um, I, yeah, I sing a lot about relationships because it's, you know, I had some hard ones when I was at, you know, uh, when I was at university and uh, I often sing about that. Does that help? Perfect. Yeah. So I have an idea. Um, very first thing that you can do. Well, I mean, there's, there's a few, but just the easiest one. If you, so it's called like a lead magnet funnel. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I'm sure you've probably heard of it, but for the people listening, a lead magnet funnel is basically a two-page funnel where you give away a digital download in exchange for someone's email and contact information. So what I would do is I would go on TikTok. I would do like like funny, relatable videos about relationships, uh, point the point of views, the perspectives, like those kind of videos. Um, and then I would actually create that lead magnet funnel and put that as my link in bio. And the lead magnet funnel, it can be anything like, you know, three tips to break up with the wrong person or three red flags, something that has something to do with like the relationship aspect of things. And then that will get people that are clicking, they'll actually start clicking for your download. And that when you start clicking the download, now you have an email list, you have a text messaging list. And then what I would do, if you're in a 90 day runway, within the first month, you can actually gather them together in like a Zoom call or something. And then get to learn more, like just like a meet and greet get to learn more about what they what they what they're going through whatever it is and then based on the questions based on the responses you can then launch a virtual party a virtual event you can bring in you know a relationship coach if you want to and just charge low ticket 27 to 47 dollars launch that and then by like the second month you should be able to actually launch your whatever that virtual thing is and then on the back end, that's where you offer them something of higher value. So as soon as you're done with your whole virtual party, on the third day, or the if it's one, it's a if it's a one-day thing, then you save this towards the end. If it's a three-day party or intensive or whatever, um, you save it for the third day where you say, Hey, how to continue in my community, join my fan club or join my my affiliate, join my coaching. So you can do all of that in like a two to three, three month period. Nice. Yeah. I think that was that was very key. That first question was finding an interest that you can 
ident that you can identify an audience with, isn't it? I like. Yeah. Um, and and what's interesting as well is it's the same thing I I have with any of my members when you know a, a popular thing we do when you're trying to find your audience on Facebook as you write on the coattails of others. And I'm like, and something that I often do, and this works really well with any kind of high energy music, rock or electronica, is um, the kind of people that listen to that often to sports, right? And so they're often into like, so what are sporting brands? So you can go and say, cool, target those people that like those, you know, like snowboarding brands or surfing brands. And it works, it works really well. And, and I often try and say to my members, like, what's something you do outside music? You know, like I play games or I'm a snowboarder and I'm like, cool, like that's your thing that you should now go with to make you differentiate between all the other musicians out there that you want to find your audience that A, likes that and then likes your music. Uh, so I guess that's a similar kind of thing, isn't it? Except you're like, you're making it way more like you're hyping it up. And also I think you're monetizing it in a really smart way. Um, and, and, and I guess, and saying to somebody, that's the way you've got to think if you want to be a music entrepreneur and um, and earn uh, more money outside your normal music royalties and live gigs, which is which is essentially a big thing you're kind of pushing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because if you think about it, you know, it's like if you do sell something like a virtual event for like forty seven dollars, you know, you get I don't know like ten people in, that's five hundred dollars. Um, and then you sell something for like a thousand or two thousand on the back end, you know, you only need to sell a couple to actually make the three k. So, yeah, it really it really depends. But um, but that's, you know, going back to what you were saying, Nick, about how it really is finding that one thing and it can be anything. Right. Like I know you also mentioned as this example of Arista, like you can just grab your phone while you're working at like Starbucks or whatever and start recording. There's a lot of people that have actually gone viral for recording themselves at Starbucks or at Goldstones or or uh, and whatever you know, just make yourself memorable with what it is that you actually want to project into the world. Yeah, totally agree, and for, and just be comfortable doing that as well. Yeah. Um, and how have have you got many of your clients where you've seen it work really well? Where they are, you know, they still are, you know, releasing a single every couple of months or an EP every couple of months, and it's doing well. Um, you know, they're doing live, you know, they're doing maybe a, a summer tour or something like that. And then they're also doing a, one of these, like uh, other alternative income streams and they've married quite well. Have you seen that? Yeah. Working? So this is actually something new that we're starting to, to integrate. Um, I know for like the past, like, I think more, more than a year, it's been solidifying that strategy and for like launching the the offers and actually starting in May, we, we have, we transitioned the, uh, the program a little bit so that there's actually space for them to actually create their music and and go and kind of make it go hand in hand um one thing though that uh one thing that we're still testing and i'll share with you guys but it's if you launch your single as an experience and an experience again like zoom you can go in the metaverse whatever figure out the subjectivity of it and if you launch it as an experience on the on the last hour or like the last day <clears throat> excuse me that can be your your release day so let's say that you know i don't know like the relationship example so you have like okay three red flags right that's your lead magnet that's your download so the first i like to do multiple days because mo when you do multiple days it's not just a one hour thing so selling them onto the next thing 
is easier because they've have they've built the trust and like and rapport with you. Um, so I like to do multiple, at least two to three days minimum. Anything above five days, it's too long. You're going to lose attention. Your conversions are going to hurt. But what I like about this is that, you know, on the first day, you can actually just talk about, I don't know, the mindset of being in a relationship. The second day, you can give some practical tips. And then the third day, you can actually say, okay, like, let's journal together about this, right? Let's journal about what we learned while we listen to my new song that's dropping right now. So now you have all the people in a Zoom chat or in a Zoom room. And they're going to go stream your song with you. Like that's, you know, immediately kind of forcing them to take action. Um, Because a lot of the times we're all like, listen to my song. And then the whole day goes by and people forget about you. So that's one way you can be more proactive. And then if they really like what you're doing and they've got a connection with you, they're going to be like, well, I've got an EP coming out. Will you download it? And it's going to be, and people will. I mean, I, you know, I, I do this all the time. If I, if there's someone who I'm, I, I even have to say, they don't even have to be a friend. They're an acquaintance, <laughs> like they're a friend of a friend. And they've got a, you know, they've got a new music out or album. I will blindly buy it to support them because, you know, I know it's really hard what they're doing and I kind of want to support them. And, and you know, when, and if there's someone I like and I like what they're doing, it's kind of a way of me. And, you know, hand on my chest, I don't listen initially, like, like all the music or listen to it. But it's because I have that connection with them. I think they're really cool. I want to support them. And so I end up doing it. I think, you know, I, I think that's really powerful. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And that's also another thing, too, in, like, the creator's economy. Um, people actually, like, like fans have voted, and they did a whole study on this. Uh, people actually support their favorite creators based, at, like, purely out of altruistic tendencies, like, just because it makes them feel good that they're supporting their crea- their favorite creators. Yeah. I mean, I, that's the psychology behind uh, Patreon, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I yeah. just, Patreon, I don't know. I can't, I don't always recommend it, like the actual platform, because of the few people I know that have done it, they kind of got burnt out with the amount of content they kept having to create and like the amount of money they were getting at the back end. They were like, we could have just written an album and probably made more money. I don't know. What's your experiences with that or your thoughts on it? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of, of Patreon. Um, also because their fees are like 10%. So in the beginning, it might not be too much, right? But if you know you get ten thousand dollars from your Patreon, that they're taking a thousand dollars just for software. And that's not really fair for the artist, right? It goes back into the whole ownership. Um, because who's providing all the work, the traffic, like it's a lot of work. Patrons are for like 10 20 it's it's a lot of work that you have to put in um i think it's only effective when you have a large following like if you have you know like like a thousand two thousand three thousand people joining then of course it makes more sense mm, yeah yeah i agree um what rookie mistakes or common problems do you see over and over again that new or early career artists make uh, rookie mistakes. Hmm. You know, I think one of the things, and this is like very common in the music industry, but I think uh, running ads without really knowing much about your music or who you are or anything. And, and I know there's like a whole market research behind it. I know you can use it to help you find your fans and your audience, but um, in, in, in every other industry running ads right from the get-go, you have actually like a back-end offer. So you actually make money from your ads and you can put 
put more money into ad spend. I think if you are going to run ads um, and if you are in the discovery process, that's 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 good. But just make sure you have some sort of offer in the back where when they're going through your process, you can actually make that money back and resell and, and like actually keep your ads active. Because that's one of the biggest things that I see people jump into ads. They either a they don't really know what they're doing. They don't even know who they are yet. And the biggest problem is that they stop after they run out of like $200 or something because they don't have a way to keep feeding it. So I think that's the biggest thing. Just find a way to make that ad money, make you more money. Yeah. And so by that office, they actually have like, you know, even like a um, a small merch pack or something available, like yeah. CD, a sticker and, um, you know, badge pack or something for like five or $6 that just, that helps, you know, you only need what three or 4% they actually go and buy that. And then that money goes back into the ads. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I completely agree. Or at least say I'm because, you know, like if you're if you're let's say you did just want to build up your Spotify streams in the first two weeks. So the algorithm kicks off at least like know that that's what you're spending your money on and that it's that and you're not expecting to like, well, hang on. But why am I getting like massive royalty checks, you know, just understanding the maths. And then I think, you know, you're more comfortable with it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, speaking on ads, though, and well, I guess speaking not on ads, so drawing on your music experience, like how how would you grow your fan base without paid ads in 2022? Yes, this is a good one. Without paid ads, this is actually what we, what we do. Um, without paid ads, you can just focus on TikTok, uh, Instagram Reels, and also finding other people that have your audience and then partnering with them, doing events with them, uh, doing Instagram lives, because what you're tapping into with that is influencer marketing without necessarily tapping into the full, you know, paid influencer marketing. Um, the second that you find someone that has a bigger audience than you don't just ju- like jump in and expect them that they're going to want to help. You actually have to build a relationship because if they've worked really hard for that audience, they're not just going to want to give you access to that, right? Build a relationship, build the connection, provide value to them in whatever way that looks like. And um, and that is one of the easiest ways because that's like you're transferring the trust, essentially. Mm. So let's say that, and we've seen it in like the hip hop world, we see it all the time, right? People actually buy features. So it's something very similar where it's just partner with them, do lives, do um you know virtual concerts whatever it is the other two ways are tiktok and reels these are like as long as you create content the easiest way to grow on those is just pick a niche like pick a demographic for your audience um and then just create content that relates to them and you can do that with your music you know you can definitely like artists are blowing up on there i think last year i think it was that they they signed like 80 artists from tiktok Mm. so yeah, it's a, it's it's one of the biggest tools for um, artists and music discoverability right now. Yeah, tick, yeah, TikTok. You say TikTok slash Reels, and that's because well, it's very easy just to upload your TikTok onto Reels, right? When you're done, who would not do that? Yeah. So, <laughs> and there's even soft, there's even software that will take off the little TikTok logo, yeah. so Instagram thinks it's a an actual native video and won't penalize you so much. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, one of them is called like SnapTick or something, and then there's IG Downloader or something. Yeah. Um, 
so uh, yeah i wanted to just on on the partnering up with people as well um and you mentioned hip-hop and, and doing features and doing collabs what are some um and i think i'm asking this selfishly for some of my artists what are, what are some other ways where you can see that value is being with, like ideas for creating that value you know let's say yeah cool i want to work with somebody but you know they've got like a hundred thousand followers i've got twenty thousand followers you know, everyone knows what's going on. You want to work with them because they've got 100,000 followers, like <laughs> being transparent. But what, what are some, you know, what are some ways of, of creating value and assuming that you're, you know, you're being um, respectful and, you know, let's say you meet on uh, Instagram and, and you're messaging and being respectful and commenting on stuff. What, what is some way that you could say offer that value? Yeah, if they have a bigger presence, the likelihood that they're on the news is so much higher. So I would just keep tabs on them, like figure out if they mention, um, I'll give you like a, like an example right now. Like there's this artist that I know that he has a way bigger audience and my approach is usually like this template that I have and I'll share with you guys. So always address the person by their first name. So like high first name and then compliment them on whatever they're actually working on. Something that actually makes them stop and say, this is not a template. Because it's not, it's just a framework, right? So um, so you give them a compliment, you tell them something that you know you you actually relate to or resonate about what they're doing, and then you ask a question. The question can be simply something like, um, you know, uh, are you working on anything in particular or anything I might be able like you don't really want to give them homework. A lot of people say, Hey, uh, if you need help with anything, let me know. And it's like, well, I don't, I'm not going to let you know. <laughs> I don't know who you are. So actually just ask them, like, you know, I saw on the news or I saw on Instagram, you mentioned that you're working on this, um, you know, just wanted to learn a little bit more about it. And then because you started with the compliment, it would be kind of rude that they don't answer back. Right. <laughs> so that's kind of like the hack because like the compliment lowers their guard and now they're going to look like jerks if they don't answer back. Um, so that's kind of like a, that's a, a really good uh, kind of like a prospecting cold outreach method. Yeah. Um, and then from there, but really before you reach out, you really want to do your homework because if you can actually provide value from the get go, like, Hey, I saw you releasing this song about this. And, you know, I think you, have you reached out to this music supervisor? It might be a good sync placement. That's one way to, to provide value. Um, just sharing resources, sharing tips. Yeah, no, I, do you know what? That is, a, that is a banger of an idea, sharing tips and sharing resources because you can build up a little arsenal of them, right? And then you can share the same tips with yeah. various people. I mean, I, and you, that framework you were saying about reaching out, using their first name, complimenting them, um i mean i you know i think that's how we i think i reached out and and i don't i don't have a template but i go and read and i think well i want to work with isabella like what does she do oh yeah she does this um she does the fame hackers that's really awesome and i think i asked i said i think what you're doing fame hackers is awesome yeah and it's the same kind of thing isn't it and you go cool like respond and then you get a conversation happening and then here we are like you know doing a podcast together yeah that's exactly it that's exactly it um, so I'm gonna, I want to ask, um, some sort of selling music trend questions. Um, so some of these I'll skip over. Um, 
So I guess on, and I know you're, I know this isn't necessarily something you're as focused on these days, but for record sales, where do you find the royalties are coming from, from the major platforms of Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Tidal, um, you know, from your, with the artists that you're working with currently? Yeah, I think this is this is a little bit difficult to say because I know that Spotify just had that huge scandal, um, <laughs> you know, where people are taking their music off and stuff like that. And, and I know some of the artists that we work with, they just like removed all their stuff from Spotify. Um, but so actually, I don't think any of the artists that we work with are on Tidal, even though I know Tidal pays more. Mm. Um, but I think that the, the biggest focus that they have is Spotify and Apple Music. Um, Apple Music, I've been hearing amazing things about Apple Music lately. And uh, and yeah, like I said, like the the chatter around it has been Spotify. A lot of people just remove their their songs. I don't know if it's I, I still don't know where I stand on that, if it's smarter not to do that. Um, Is that because of the Joe Rogan thing? Yeah. And then Neil, um, yeah, it was uh, in the I think in the also like said something that it fueled more fire to it. Um, mm. there's a couple of artists yeah I know, I know what you mean I'm sort of because I've been a few of my members have asked me like should we take I've seen this next should we take our music off and I'm like um it's a, it's for you to decide I yeah. guess <laughs> I mean I yeah it's a tough one I yeah, <laughs> probably probably it's a hot there's a whole new podcast I guess how do you find with um with music royalties though like vinyl and CDs are, are still selling and they're still relative? I think it depends on your audience. Um, I, I really think it, it depends because if you were to sell like vinyl for like a hip hop artist, I don't think that would sell as much as like someone in like pop or someone, right? Um, so, yeah. I, or e- even like an EDM, very like pop EDM artist might, might have some success with it. So I think it depends on your audience. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we find people still buy CDs, and mm-hmm. I don't know who buys them because I don't know anyone with a CD player. <laughs> Again, I don't, yeah, I, 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 I wonder if that is just what we we're talking about earlier of just people want to support their favorite creators. And if I'm like, "You're my favorite creator, and you're selling a CD," I'll buy it, and then I'll stick it on my shelf. I'm never going to listen to it because I don't have a CD player, but I've supported you. Maybe that's just simply that. Yeah, maybe. I have I have a, a couple cases like that too where I don't have a CD player and they're there. And also like I know it's a little off off track, but like Redbox, like the DVD players, uh the DVD things, they're still outside of the stores. And it's crazy cuz I don't have a DVD player. I don't think people have DVD players anymore. So <laughs> people are still renting them. Yeah. I so I mean I I work in film as well and the thing about that is people, if you really like love film, you want 4K experiences on DVDs. And there are people that collect, and, and plus there's a collector's thing to it. I mean, that's not so much Redbox because you're renting, but um, I, I think that's what it is. They want that high fidelity experience and mm. they've bought all the equipment, right? And they're like, you know, well, you know, Netflix doesn't deliver like what I can get off my 4K Blu-ray. And I think that's what it comes in. Whereas... I think with music, that's not so much the style. But I have to say, you know how vinyl kind of came back into play and people bought vinyl players and all that kind of stuff. I I believe that there's going to be a, in the next five years, 
a new generation of kids that have kind of come through. They're going to buy CDs from like thrift stores and they're going to buy cheap CD players. And it's going to be like cool to have a CD player when you have like a, a dinner party and you have all your CDs lined up and people are like, oh my God, it's like hits of the 90s. Like I'll put it on and it's going to be a thing. I, 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 I put money on it. <laughs> I can see that now that, yeah, like when you paint the picture like that, I can definitely see that. <laughs> like all the, it'll come all the hipster kids, right? Yeah. It'll come a hipster thing to do to get like a CD player and then, you know, that whole generation will fall in love with it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, blogs, music blogs, do you think they're still relevant today? Um, yes and no. I think it depends what blogs you're in because there's also a lot of places that, so it, it helps for multiple reasons. If your blog is like a Google News accredited site, it actually helps towards getting your blue check mark. So it's not a bad idea. Um, however, you just have to make sure that it's not just like, you know, a blog that someone just has to sell you placements. Because um, those aren't really going to take you very far. So just, just rewind there a little bit. You said if a blog is a Google accredited website? Yeah. Uh, for example, like the LA Note. Um, we've done a lot of different partnerships with the LA Note. And they're really cool because they actually, like, they open up their submission portal every so often. And you can submit, they're not, you know, at this point, I don't think they're charging anything. Um, And I know that it is a Google accredited site. So what that means is that if you get a couple of these, when you submit for your blue checkmark verification, it actually, one of the questions on Instagram, it says, list your places where you've been mentioned. And they'll usually look for like, you know, Forbes, Business Insider, like these billboard, Rolling Stone, these bigger, um, things but if it is a google news approved website it will also have the same weight that the big um, magazines and the big blogs have that's very interesting i did not know that that's really good and that you're meaning the blue chip that the the blue tick you get on yeah the blue check on tick on instagram the ver- verified tick mm-hmm. nice oh that's good to know it's um, seo right it just goes back, back to like search engine optimization and people actually searching for you yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, we, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we sort of talked about paid advertising. Is that still, um, my feeling is it's not something that you do use a lot of, but, um, you know, do any of your artists use it? And if you, you know, is there any tips that you've seen that work well or things to avoid any failures? Yeah, we use uh, paid ads very, very little. Um, but we do have an artist that it was, we tried everything with him. Um, we tried like Instagram, we tried everything. And the best performing effort, the, the best performing activity that we had with him was a Facebook ad. Um, so just like the typical running a Facebook ad, uh, what we did actually is we took it one step further and we had the video view ad. So you're like targeting, this is kind of like your cold audience, right? You're just targeting all the fans of X, Y, and Z and all those people into the video view ad. And then um, one of the things is the actually having a, a chat, like the many chat ad going. So the messenger ad and having a Facebook group going at the same time. So the third ad being, um, hey, my name is so-and-so. And if you like like this kind of music and you're into these kinds of subjects, then you should probably join my group because we're going to talk about these things. And it's been growing and like the community is growing. And that way there's also like that cascade of like, you have your followers, but you have the people that want to be closer to you in the group. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's good to know. Um, 
the um, we talked about um, Instagram and TikTok um, on social media. Uh, what platforms? And I, and I guess like it, it all depends on what kind of music. Um, so maybe framing this around some particular styles of music. Um, which platforms are you getting? Um, you're finally getting the best response for engagement between YouTube, SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. So TikTok is a little bit different. Um, TikTok, you would couple TikTok with Discord and Spotify. Those are like the best, the common practices. TikTok, Discord, and Spotify. Yeah. Yeah, some people will promote their SoundCloud, and that's fine. I know SoundCloud has like a big push right now for indie artists, and they're doing an amazing job. Um, but that's typically what you'll find is the artists will have a Discord, which is like their Facebook group equivalent. Um, this is where your people that want to get closer to you want to just be part of your community. They'll go there. And then Spotify is like the the main place that people get sent to. Yeah. And do you th- is Discord something that's like really gl- grown in popularity? Do you think that's something that I guess it's for the younger like demographics are into it and Facebook and Facebook groups is maybe people are like, that's for anyone over the age of 30. Something like that. Um, <laughs> so it's also taking into consideration the who uses the platforms, right? Majority of people on Facebook, they're not going to be a lot of Gen Z. Um, and more Gen Z is going to be, you know, even though TikTok now has, I think, like a billion monthly users or something. Um, this is crazy. There was a stat I read. It was something around the lines of like, I think they have 1 billion monthly users. And I think the people that actually create content is like one or 3%, which is like so low for the amount of users that they have. Um, That's crazy. Cause it used to be 50, 50, two years ago. <laughs> it was, there's like half the audience was creating content on TikTok. So now what you're saying is it's, it's a lot of viewers. Just watching. Yeah. Which is like, so crazy. <laughs> it's like so much room for growth. Um, so but anyway, so about um, you were asking me something else. You're asking me about. Uh, so, so I just asked about yeah, what platforms best response, and it was platforms. Yeah, Discord, TikTok, Discord, and Spotify. When I was so talking about, so it's interesting as well. You've kind of put Spotify as like I was sort of trying to say social media platforms, but in some ways you're sort of putting it under that umbrella. Like, what, what's the, the thinking behind that, or are you just more thinking platforms in general? Well, I was thinking like uh, people, like what they do is they put their link in bio, they put like their Spotify. So TikTok is like the thing that drives traffic and then they they drive the traffic to their Spotify. Um, but Discord is also something that's really big because that's what we were talking about, the age demographics. Um, even if if you are over 30, like it still shouldn't be a thing that you're afraid of, of looking into because in the future... Uh, when NFTs does actually take over the music industry right now, we're still at the very beginning, but that whole side of the industry is being built on Twitter and discord. So if you spend some time every single day, you know, going on the discords, chatting with people, getting to know people, getting to learn about NFTs, getting to learn about a community that you could be building. Um, it's only going to be easier because we already know based on like the research statistics and everything, it kind of seems like Facebook and Facebook groups are in a decline. Um, you know, there's a lot of speculation that Facebook is a dying platform. So building something on a dying platform is kind of like scary, um, knowing that there's other solutions out there. There's another one too. 
I heard about and I've heard really good things. Um, it is a paid platform and it's called Circle. And this is another good one for like content creators also to build their community there. And it's just like a, the interface and everything. There is a fee to it. Discord is free. That's the only difference. Mm. Yeah, I've heard about Circle. It's pretty good. Um, so um, we've mentioned NFT a few times and I did want to ask you, um, do you think that it, like NFT, do you think music artists should be paying attention to NFTs now? And how do you think they're going to be utilized in the future? I think NFTs and cryptocurrency in general is something that, you know, everybody should be paying attention to. Um, maybe it won't be like the thing that defines you right in this moment, but in the next three to four years, it could definitely, um, not just for like the, the fact of like, I need to be educated, but also for the fact that like, it's an opportunity that we have. And a lot of the times we all miss opportunities and then look back and say, oh man, I, I should have done that. And when the internet, you know, the internet was starting, there was a whole uh, rush where people were getting like their e their websites and they were blowing up their blogs and, you know, looking back, we're like, oh man, we should have, you know, run the traffic. And then the same thing happened with TikTok. TikTok came around. A lot of artists are like, oh man, it's so saturated now. I should have started a TikTok, right? We've seen it happen time and time again. So with NFTs, it's one of those things of like, if you're in it right now, everyone is learning. So you're not, you know, you're not going to be like the odd guy out. You're not going to be like a fool. Everyone's learning. So you get to learn with the community. Um, and, that, and that's the cool thing because everybody actually wants to help you succeed. So as long as you go in, you know, you have good vibes. You're not just trying to screw people over. People are actually going to want to be your friends because they want to build that. And the people that get involved with it now or within the next couple of years, they're going to be at the forefront of it. So, you know, five, 10 years down the road, whenever they're like, oh, look at all the big artists, that's because they put in the work like today. And I think that's pretty much the differentiating factor is time is going to, you know, pass anyway. You might as well do something that's already headed into the future yeah i i mean i agree i'm i'm all in i've i've got a decentralized crowdfunding platform oh, that's awesome free, so i'm totally in it but but interestingly enough you know all i and until november last year you know i had a metamask wallet and you know, that i've been playing around with and then you know i just had i i owned some like bitcoin and ethereum that i bought years ago luckily um but i didn't really know much about it and it's incredible how much resources and like you said how much help there is out there like it's such an amazing with the web3 community is everybody's really friendly and nice and 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 want to help out and there's no like clicky groups i mean i'm sure that will probably come but it's just not there now and it's really amazing like i, I have to say it's a great place i mean if there any are there any particular you know are there particular particular projects um worth looking up for in the music nft space and i think with and and also keeping in mind the ability to fractionalize royalties and share that with your fans because that's what I that's what interests me and I know there's been Oculus have been talking about doing not is it sorry Opulus Opulus mm -hmm. have been talking about doing it and they were supposed to launch last year and they didn't um, yeah is there any yeah any platforms to keep an eye on or, or any thoughts on that yeah um, I actually just had a a virtual conference at the beginning of this month. And we had a whole uh, panel on NFTs and, and stuff like that. And there was two people from, so the founder of Dow Records, uh, they're, they're definitely like, they're up to like really cool projects. 
Um, so his name, I think his name that he goes by in the NFT space is Vandal. He's pretty well known. Um, and then there's another one too that was really cool, uh, Bitrees. And the guys at Bitrees, they're also working on really cool projects to do like virtual gigs and stuff like that. And I think they've already done, I think they did a bunch in the last year. Um, I can't remember if they did one weekly or once every two weeks. But I think those two projects are really, really cool in terms of like the actual communities and stuff like that. Um, I know there's a bunch and I think the biggest thing to just keep an eye for is when you are going through these communities and we are going through the projects, just figure out like if what is the actual in intention, right? Um, because a lot of people will do in the NFT space and the crypto space, you still have to be very careful because a lot of people will do like the rug pulls where essentially they hype up a token or something and then everybody buys in and then the people that bought in get screwed over. So just get to know the people behind the projects, get to know their track record, um, their reputation, and just figure out if there's any kind of utility or longevity for the project. And also get to know the community. Um, and those are kind of like the, the factors to look for. Yeah, yeah, really good advice there. Um, there's also, if, if you do want to um, simply sell NFTs of your music, and that might even be as simply as simple as um, the artwork for your single or your album. Um, there is a a company called SimpleMusic.com, um, and they actually plug it. They actually tie in with uh, if you've got a Shopify website or a Shopify account, they actually just plug straight into it. I think they originally they they set up to if you want to do music downloads and, and stuff like that from your Shopify, um, cool. from your Shopify page, um, they'll plug into it and they're on their Solana, um, blockchain. Uh, and it's kind of, it's just all very integrated. It's basically, if you're like, want to dip your toes and make it available, it's, it's a really easy option. We got, we're setting one up with one of our, um, with one of our members. So that's um, awesome. I'll how it goes, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I think I have, I agree with everything you said, you know, when people are looking at early 2000s, you know, even just like, I wish, you know, even if you just spread better and, and put like $10 into the, all the different, like the Amazons and the, and all those, of course, lots failed, but then, you know, $10 in Amazon now, what would that be worth today? Like, and all the other opportunities that came off, I think you're completely right. Um, and it is still a world that, you know, most people, when you say, oh, like, you know, do you know about Web3 NFTs? They've kind of heard of it, but they're not really in it. Um mm -hmm. And yeah, it's it's an exciting place right now. Um, so I think, um, yeah, I th I think that is most of the questions I kind of wanted to ask you and and get your perspective on. Um, where can we find out more about you, Isabella, and, and um, Fame Hackers' uh, websites? You know, what's your social media handles? Yeah, the uh, the website is the famehackers.com and my social handle is isword i-z-z-w-o-r-d um and yeah i think that's it and linkedin i'm, I'm pretty active on linkedin too it's linkedin is, is crazy <laughs> it's so crazy for especially if you're like on the music side on the music business side of things it's a it's a crazy platform it's awesome <laughs> is it yeah i mean i just started getting back into it i've so i heard linkedin's owned by microsoft Facebook and Instagram are owned by Facebook and Instagram. And um, 
and what's the other one? And Twitter is owned by, I want to say Google or something. Like I'm sure Google owned Twitter or something like that. But yeah, like Microsoft are really invested in making sure that LinkedIn does really well. And it's like, if you share stuff there, it actually gets to people that your organic reach is really good. Yeah, the LinkedIn is is so crazy because like, um, it's also like my fastest growing, I think right now. Um, And it's cool because if you are an artist, here's like the the cool thing about LinkedIn. If you are an artist and you do want to get more music supervised, like supervision uh, contacts, or if you want to get more um, management contacts or anything that has to do with the business side of the industry, not a lot of artists are on LinkedIn. So this is a good place where you can actually join the platforms that they're actively on to build those connections. Um, so as an artist, it's like a little bit of a ninja hack where this is how you actually get discovered. You start the connection yourself. Um, and it's really cool because the organic reach. So LinkedIn will push out content that's like, I just got hired. I just got promoted um, just because they're all like with all the platforms. If you look at their mission or vision statement, it'll tell you the content that they're going to push out because that is what they want the community on that platform to be. Um, so LinkedIn is all about, you know, if you're hiring, that content gets pushed out. Any sort of like, you know, feel good office type of experience, that'll get pushed out. Um, so yeah, it's, it's more more on those lines. That's a good artist tech, you heard it here. <laughs> um, <laughs> awesome. Uh, so uh, yeah, thank you again. Um, and um, you were going to as well. Um, yeah, we'll get that link to that framework as well. If we can link that. Um, of course, you know, looking on the show notes as well, there'll be links to everything. Um, thank you again for your time. This was uh, one of my favorites, honestly. I think I could chat with you for hours on this kind of stuff. <laughs> thank you, Nick. This was awesome. Yeah, I really enjoyed our, our chat. I was thinking the same. I was like, this is probably one of the best ones, <laughs> the best conversations I've had. Um, so I'm really grateful that you that you brought me on here. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you.